chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Good evening and welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham, a two-man crew here to break down USC's rivalry loss, 38-20 to to UCLA yesterday in the Coliseum. Ryan, there's not a lot of positives to talk about. There's really no good way to spin this game or the season. It's five losses in the last six games for USC to end the regular season, two, rival, two rivalry losses on the year, and the Trojans, after starting number five in the poll, are now seven and five. Yeah, it's not a way to, way to put it on a downner, Jack. I thought well, we were talking about something fun, like Thanksgiving coming up or something. No, We were uh, just talking about bowl games, so that's <laughs> that's kind of what you have to look forward to these holidays and bowl games instead of looking in the past if you're uh, USC. We do, and we appreciate you guys coming in. Uh, it's a regular television show. We do Sunday nights. Uh, we know people have asked. Yeah, we'll keep doing some shows depending on news. The regular season is now over. Of course, we'll find out a week from today where USC is going bowling, so we'll kind of get into that. We'll do some shows, preview shows, and things along those lines. But we are live on YouTube, Facebook, and uh, Twitter. So if you are in there, any of those, and you want to put a comment or a question, you can put question in the chat box and Jack will uh, pull it up there uh, later on the show. We'll get that. We're taking live calls, 5124 Tunnel, to get this thing rolling. So if you guys want to call and complain about stuff, you know, we can do that. We're here. We could be your therapist uh, for a night. But, you know, as Jack said, not a lot of positive things to take from uh, this game. I mean, to lose five of your last six, your preseason number five in the country, you got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. You start off six and zero. Oh, maybe don't look good. Not maybe you didn't look good, but you were six and zero. Oh, projected to go to the college football playoff, and then uh, literally to lose five of your next six games, um, pretty crazy. And having that one game you won being a batted down two point conversion. Uh, craziness and even the Arizona game yeah. before that uh, triple overtime and Arizona looks really good right now I mean if if USC played Arizona like a week later I'm not sure what the score would have been but yeah it's uh it's it's a disappointing season is I mean I, 
to put it mildly, I mean, this is there was such a high level of disappointment because the expectations were so high. I think looking back for the two years with Lincoln Riley, that the Trojans probably overachieved, maybe significantly in year one. I mean, you did get that Heisman. You have that in your back pocket. You know, it's just it's like Wheel of Fortune. Like you won some prizes in the first round. They can't take that away, even if you stink the rest of the way. USC stunk the rest of the way, but they got that Heisman. That's good. That's one of the important things. And they certainly underachieved, I think, in year two. Um, I mean, they're really, really bad defensively. I think USC Psycho tweeted out that they gave up 419 points, which is the most they've ever done. I believe that's for the regular season. Uh, that's a lot of points. Um, we didn't think the defense could be worse. We thought, how much better could it be? It's, it's arguably worse. You had to fire your defensive coordinator. 10 games in, uh, but special teams were bad too. And Lincoln Riley was asked about that in the press conference yesterday. And he said their punt team is one of the best in the country or number one in the country. But SP Plus has them dead last, or at least they did. I have to check. Uh, they didn't get better because uh, they missed a short field goal. They had a penalty on a kickoff return that put USC at the six-yard line and UCLA gets a fumble recovery for a touchdown a couple plays later, and they kick the ball out of bounds. There's been stuff like that every game where the special teams have just been poor. I think that needs to be addressed outside of the – and, you know, and offensively, I think it just – things started to unravel. You can't just keep carrying the other two units, which I think Caleb Williams, the offense, had to do. But this was the best pass rush that USC faced, and uh, they got there. Um, you know, USC had red zone troubles. There was a lot of problems, not just – with the defense. And so looking back at the whole season, you can say, you know, with confidence that underachieved for sure. Uh, a lot of mistakes were made. Lincoln Riley took blame. It's, you know, it's on him. Um, I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. And I think you guys talked about this in uh, instant analysis, Jack, like earlier in the season, I feel like the optimism, it was like, you're trying to hold on to that optimism as long as possible. That, Six and zero, and you're kind of looking like crap. You're still like, hey man, we're six and zero. You know, all this, and, and you lose a couple games. You're like, we we'll still have our, you know, control our own destiny. You kind of like we're clinging to this hope that USC sort of flips the switch, and it never happened. And game after game after game, underachieving results. So I think Lincoln Riley finally kind of looked back and go, okay, like you, there's no more saving this. You were trying to like salvage whatever you could. It's unsalvageable. Your, your two worst games were the two worst games possible you could have picked. Your rivalry games, Notre Dame and UCLA. It's a disaster of a season. Underachieving, underperforming. I don't know how else you want to put it, but I guess I'm bringing us down too, Jack. No, it's okay. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I think it's a little bit, a little too late. You know, this would have been nice to hear after the, the Notre Dame game, maybe the Utah game when they lost their second game. But I think if you're Lincoln Riley and you know, no one wants to hear this, but you're trying to keep the team afloat. You know, you don't want to go in the press conference and just admit defeat, I think. And he's trying to, you know, make them think, hey, we're only a couple plays away. Like, we can still go win the Pac-12 championship game. Oh, now we really need some help. We can still make it, though. We can still make it. Okay, now we're mathematically eliminated. And it felt like, you know, he mentioned last week this will be the first game that they play without a potential championship on the line or a spot in the championship on the line. It really looked like that. It looked like a team that realized they had nothing to play for 
And I just don't think they came out and played very well. Obviously, you know, you saw what happened on the football field, but this team has still fought pretty well, even even though it had been being, I guess, outclassed on the football field in, in a couple of games, at least as of late. And it felt like you can't say the same thing about yesterday, where the fight, it didn't seem like was there from the start. UCLA looked like the meaner team, the more physical oh, team, yeah. the team that wanted it more. And they were the team that we were questioning on Thursday. Are they going to show up? You know, Chip Kelly, there's the rumor mill floating around that he might get fired. Does that sink a team? Does that galvanized them. It was the latter for sure. Before we get on to some more thoughts, we've got a couple of super chats here in the chat, so I want to make sure we get to those first. Uh, there's one that just $2 from Judy on YouTube. No question with it. So Judy, if you want to put a question in there, we can get to that. But thank you so much for the super chat. Michael S sent one in five bucks. He says, is Dante Williams gone? Has he underperformed as position coach and chief recruiter? So Ryan, I'll let you handle that one. Yeah. Uh, so I think the entire defensive coaching staff is you know, potentially on the chopping block. You're going to bring in a new defensive coordinator. You don't do that and say, well, we really like to keep this guy. We really like to keep this guy. And I think you would like to keep Dante, you know, just because of um, the recruiting prowess. But I think if this, you, you want to do this right, it would be the same thing if you hired Lincoln Riley and said, well, we want you to keep these assistants. Like, no, you let Lincoln Riley run the thing because he's got a proven track record. You go out and get a proven defensive coordinator and you let him run his show. And, if you get rid of every single defensive assistant, that's so be it, you know. And I, they'll probably all make their own case. They'll probably all be re-interviewed. Um, maybe there's some guys that you, whoever you hire knows I'm bringing in this defensive line coach or I, I'm bringing in this DB coach or whatever it is. Then those guys are probably, doesn't matter what they do, maybe they could interview and go somewhere else or be a different part of the staff. But you have to let the defensive coordinator make that hire. So I, I don't think anybody is uh, above reproach. Like you, They underperformed everywhere. Every coach on the staff, I think, uh, could lose their job potentially. So there's, yeah, there's no, no one, they're not recruiting well enough that you would keep anyone for that. You're, they're not coaching well enough that you keep anyone for that. You want to bring in the best guys everywhere, and I think everybody could potentially be fired. You have to look at it that way. No one is untouchable. Yeah, I think the second half of the question, too, you know, has he underperformed as a position coach? Hard to not watch this defense and say that all position coaches underperform this yes. season, even some of the ones that, you know, have great reputations. I think Sean New is a good defensive line coach, but the defensive line underperformed, and that has to fall on the coaching. And I feel like, you know, with Lincoln Riley taking the blame for a lot of stuff yesterday, that's what we were looking for earlier in the season because it just kind of feels like coaches should be the ones falling on the sword at some point. And we've asked a lot of players, and some players have done that at different points. And, uh, but, I, you know, I, I think you can't say that he didn't underperform as a position coach. Chief recruiter, hard to tell because um, they haven't been recruiting super well, but the yeah. ones that they do get, you feel like you hear that he's a big part of it. I feel like I agree with you that no one's untouchable and you can't treat them as such because if you continue to do that and you continue to try and just keep guys in-house because you like them around, you know these are the same guys that fielded what it might be the worst defense in, in school history. So you can't just keep them around just because you want to. We have a couple more. Five of the last six games you lose, everybody's underperformed. Yeah. You can't say anyone's performed adequately. No. So everyone's under, underperformed. We've got a bunch of Super Chats coming in. So thank you guys oh, wow. so much for sending them in. Kevin Morris, $2, says, The red flag for me was at Arizona State. What was your red flag? I guess I kind of that big red flag. Maybe that the alarm bells are going off. Yeah, I mean... The call, like the second half of the Colorado game yeah. was kind of disturbing. Um, you know, Stanford gives you a false hope of like the 49 to three first half thing. But I think like the second half of Colorado, you're like, what's going on here? And some of it you could sort of like explain away. And then once it happened week after week and people had, you know, a Marion Miller, like who the heck was that guy? He has like 200 receiving yards in the second half. 
And that, I mean, we saw that, like, I wrote in the, you know, and, and talked about this in my three keys to victory. Like, UCLA's offense was pretty bad, really bad. They scored 17 points in the last two weeks. Don't let anybody have, like, a career day. Well, Ethan Garbers has his career high in touchdowns. Um, TJ has a, um, what's the handle? I forget. Harden. TJ Harden, career high in carries, career high in rushing yards. You know, like, you can't let that happen every week you play somebody. You know, they didn't get the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week against them because Bo Nix was playing somewhere else. But three weeks in a row, you let that happen. So, yeah, that, that kind of stuff is just, you know, it's such a big problem with this team. And I think we started to see that against Colorado where there's guys that are like, who's that guy? And why is he having, like, a career day? You never heard of him again. and uh, But they're having a career day against USC. Yeah, no, that I, that makes sense. I think, yeah, that the big alarm was the second half of Colorado. And the moment I knew that this isn't going to be the season that we expected was that first quarter against Arizona. I know they came back and won that game, but that was just basically instant scores for Arizona. USC's offensive line wasn't playing very well. Um, the nail in the coffin came next week against Notre Dame and the week after that against Utah and basically every other week after that as well. And, you know, a couple <laughs> more nails. But that that Arizona State game was bad, but I think it was that second half of Colorado. I'd agree. You know, the Arizona game, USC hadn't trailed in a game. Yeah, exactly. Like they had played. So that's part of the problem, too. They had really played like ass a lot, mm -hmm. and they'd never even trailed in a game, you know? And then... They're down F-17, nothing to Arizona. You're like, what the hell? Exactly. So that was, I, I think it's a really good point. Like, when they hadn't trailed, and you're like, they're still not playing well, but now you're down yeah. big to Arizona, that was a big problem. Yeah, because you can come out of that Colorado game and say, you know, we're, we're no need to fret. Team hasn't trailed yet. And then they go down 17 nothing, And I was like, oh, yeah, well, that was the one thing you had kind of holding you in there. Jim Russell on YouTube says, can you explain USC's shortcomings in NIL? Uh, No. <laughs> yeah, it's um, kind of hard. It's a, there's a lot going on there. I would definitely recommend listening to the Composite Two-Star Recruits uh, podcast. A lot of different um, sort of theories on on this. And, you know, people that run the different NIL collectives don't agree with each other. Uh, you've seen there's some arguments and stuff on Twitter. So we try to write a lot of stuff in the war room about, you know, what we're hearing. Certainly there's deficiencies. Um, I think there's a lot of people feel like big boosters kind of need to step up and and do more. Sometimes it's the philosophy. I think the Mike Bone administration maybe didn't embrace it as much as like Jen Cohen is, but she's new and starting this going. Um, I think there's, you know, some issues there, but it's not a, a simple, it's not a simple problem. I think it's a complex uh, problem. We, we keep trying to talk about it and address it and stuff, but it's not something you can kind of sum up in a couple sentences, I'd say. And I think you have to specify too, like this is shortcomings in NIL when it comes to recruitment. I think USD does a good job when it comes to NIL with the current athletes that they do yeah. have in-house. You've got a bunch of, uh, you know, spots potting, uh, popping up rather for USC players to get their NIL house of victories. One that, you know, we've collaborated with through the season. They're raising a lot of money this week. You see, you know, every player on a lot of sports teams with NIL deals uh, that are at USC. So I think the difference is, the difference in high school recruiting for football but you know look across united airlines billboards and powerade with mario williams like there's nil for current players so that's yeah. i think where you have to specify where the problem is one last I, super chat and then we can okay, continue real quick, to i was on. at the house of victory tailgate and they raised a bunch of money they gave away so we got another caleb williams bobblehead i don't know if you can see it on the camera but oh uh, no wait. uh yeah so uh yeah hold uh, it up okay so yeah, they gave away Caleb Williams bobbleheads to the first hundred people that were at the, uh, but they gave us one for the studio. So thanks to House of Victory for that. I think they're doing a nice job. And 
we, the, some of the NIL problems that we that I thought from the very beginning is if you're a place like USC and you're a star, you're going to get deals. Like Caleb Williams is on national TV commercials and stuff. But you might be better off to be like the center of like the Nebraska football team where there's no other professional sports and mm -hmm. they, they, any every position is important to them where LA's star-driven. And Caleb Williams would be the biggest star in the state of Nebraska. Like three years after he left college. And Caleb Williams is probably not top 20 in Southern California, you know? Because you're like, oh, is it LeBron James and, or, you know, mm -hmm. or Shohei Otani? Like, I mean, there's all these superstar sports personalities in Southern California that Caleb Williams is big, but he's not anywhere near some of those guys. So that's some of the challenging aspects, I think, of being running NIL in a major city. If you're in Miami, it's the same kind of thing, you know? like. Um, so yeah, I mean, a guy like D Wade is like bigger than any college player and going to be in Miami. He's been retired for years. So yeah. that's the kind of stuff that, that you're kind of dealing with in the different markets. Yeah. Shohei Otani might not be in Southern California anymore. He should come to San Francisco and play for the Giants. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank you guys. You're if, if you're a lot of people, they're already yeah, mad, Jack. They're going to make up more. All the Dodger fans. Are gonna they can take it more. out on me. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you guys. If you're joining us from the USC basketball game, USC just beat Brown 81 to 70, a close high scoring game. But so if you were watching that one and have come over here to tunnel vision, you know, welcome to the show. We're recapping USC versus UCLA. You can leave your thoughts in the comment section, or if you want to call in later, Later on the show, the number is 5124-TUNNEL. We've got one more super chat, $5 from Troy Miller. He says, is Lincoln Riley overrated and is USC football dead? Ryan, your thoughts on those? Okay, USC football's not dead. We're still doing our show. So, uh, no, it's not dead. Um, I think there's certainly setback. And I think your, your rate, your, your resume, you know, everyone looks at, like, even Oklahoma fans want to look back. Like, he did a lot of great things in Oklahoma. He did great things at USC in year one. He had a really terrible year two, though his worst coaching year he's had um so no i mean i think you hire someone like that because of the resume it doesn't always translate or work out in a different environment it's definitely different when you take over sometimes it's hard to take over from a legend and sometimes it's easier you know that program was certainly more established and you kind of keep it rolling we saw you know jim harbaugh took you know the ashes of stanford and turned it into a powerhouse and david shaw kept it going you know and and did it for a while until it fell off there's different skill sets and there you know as a coach there's new things you're dealing with um i mean who knows what would have happened in the nil era if he stayed at oklahoma or if bob stoops was kept going every you know it college football's changed a lot in the last couple of years and even nick saban and kirby smart like everybody has to adapt and it's great if you already have like the super established culture that maybe there's a few bumps in the road where if it's not an established culture, it becomes like these potholes uh, toward dropping off a cliff. So I think there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts, but I, he's, I mean, you hire a guy like Lincoln Riley for a reason because he's got that great resume. And then, you know, he did a lot of great things in year one. You don't ignore that, but you don't ignore the, the bad things that happened in year two. And it's going to be a lot on him to say, all right, you know, this is the way I was doing things. That didn't work, you know? And I feel like there was a, I don't want to say avoidance of that, but you were sort of like, at least externally, backing the horses that you came in on when you could have in the middle been like, okay, this isn't good enough. We need to change this or do something different. I felt like they made changes on offense when they had problems. And for whatever reason, the defense just wasn't making those changes. If they were incapable of them or they just were too stubborn, I don't know. But this, it's all about the offseason now. I don't think he's overrated. Um, 
I mean, you're rated where you are, so I think it's just where you are. Like he's got yeah. those, he's got a resume that's that doesn't go away. Like, um, so I feel like this is now he's going to be graded on what he does going forward in the off season and building things back up. If you know, for the next two years, they're middling and just you know, you have like, well, you're going to the Big Ten and all that. But you can tell. There's an eye test. They're like, how good are they going to look? Do they look good? Like, okay, you lost a close game to Michigan and Penn State, but, man, they looked really good. Cool. That's fine. If they look like crap, like they were 6-0 and and you weren't saying they were good enough because they look like crap. I think it's just more about, like, how's that? How's this team feel? And I think it's hard to do what USC did just look down almost every week. They just didn't play up to the potential. you got to have a potential – and USC's potential was high because of all the talent. They just underachieved like week after week after week. You got there'll be some up here where you just go bananas. And Stanford beats uh, Colorado, and they just play out you know out of their butt. And then a bunch of weeks where they just don't even look like they have a pulse. You want to see something, you know, some kind of range. You'd like that range to be a little bit tighter. I mean, uh, not um, you know you don't want this wide range. But when I go to the driving range, uh, so I think my yeah, well, you know, pull it out real quick. Sorry. Little microphone like if I go to the driving range and I pull out my driver and I like, you know, smoke one down the middle and then duck hook one left and then slice one right. Like I'd rather that dispersion be a little tighter uh, and I'd rather more of them look like draws. And I think for USC, you'd like it, you know, more to be near your potential and some like overachieving, not everything on the lower end is you know, super snap slices or duck hooks. Yeah, I think he's properly rated because if you're if you're saying what you were saying about Lincoln Riley coming into the season, you're still saying that now despite the five losses, then maybe you can say he's overrated. But think about all the flack that he's been getting publicly as well as privately. Like at that point, then you're properly rated. You can't just say, well, we expected this and now we think he's bad. So that means he's overrated because if you think he's bad now or you think that he's not as good as he was coming into the season, then that's properly rated. So, uh, you know, maybe if there are people telling you that Lincoln Riley is the same coach that went to the playoff a couple times, I don't, maybe his resume has lost a little bit of shine with this five-loss season. So if people are telling you, no, he's the exact same coach at that point, sure, maybe you're overrating him a bit. But you're still you have that resume from the past, and maybe it's taken a hit with this current season. I think that just means you're properly rated at that point. Yeah, and I think it, as if you're like a Riley, I mean, you realize the fans aren't happy. Um, I mean, the honeymoon's over. Yeah, and it's more about hard work, making the right calls, not just. I'm Lincoln Riley, so what I say is the right call. You're like, all right, well, people were being critical of what I was saying, and we were like backing us, backing our, backing our choices. Choices were wrong. Now you got to like, okay, we got to fix this and go forward. So yeah, I think, I if, you know, we'll see. I, I I would trust. You know, you you make this hire for a reason. You have to let a guy like that fix some of the problems. He's 40 years old. There's problems. Uh, there were problems when he got here. He fixed a lot of them. There's new ones created. There's old ones popped up. You have to give him the opportunity to fix them. And, uh, you know, he might. And he might not. He might fix them some and more pop up. We'll see. It's never going to be perfect. But you want to give him an opportunity to go through and uh, really self-scout, find out what was going wrong, what needs to change from anything. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's going to need to change. And if you just kind of stick status quo and you want you know, David Shaw, like we talked about him, they went three and nine and he didn't fire a single staff member. Like that's someone that's not willing to change. We've seen like a rather already fire defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch, you know, a year and a half in needed to happen, probably should have happened earlier, but that's at least you're changing. And I think that's 
should give USC fans hope. If they hire someone good, maybe give you a little more hope and then see where they got to kind of go from here. Yeah, and this is the, really the first big stretch of adversity and by far the biggest stretch of adversity that he will face in his head coaching career, at least so far from what he's had. Never had a, a team with more than three losses. Now this team's got five regular season losses, and he said it after the game yesterday that he's going to approach the offseason. He's got a fire in his gut. He's going to do everything he can to to get it right, and he you know owned up to his mistakes. Now that all sounds great, but he's got to go and actually do it, but you have to give a coach a chance to go through a stretch of adversity like that and come out of it. You would hope better if you're a USC fan, and that that's kind of what you're going to be looking for heading into what is now going to be a bye week and then a bowl game, but really into the offseason where he's going to have to make that hire and he's going to have to make some wholesale changes. Uh, we can kind of get into the game. One of the big changes that they're going to have to make is the way that they prioritize both sides of the line. The offensive line got manhandled by UCLA's pass rush and specifically the run defense yesterday when they just couldn't stop the run. USC couldn't on defense. So the lines are really going to have to change, especially going to the Big Ten where they're even more important than they are here in the Pac-12. Yeah, Jared Kingston ends up being out for this game. Um, it was uh, not a great performance. I thought they did an okay job kind of protecting Caleb Williams early, but, uh, you know, red zone, they faltered. Uh, a lot to, you know, had two sacks in a row that knocks them out of, you know, the inside the 10, and then you have to end up kicking a field goal. I mean, you would have gone for it if you were anywhere close and, you're 17 yards back, so you have to kick a field goal. Like situations like that, where you gave up two sacks in a row, you can't do that. Um, and it takes your the you know, the opportunity of scoring a touchdown and really the opportunity of coming back and winning the game off the board. Um, so he was sacked four times. Uh, I don't know if you had a favorite rushing yard, Jack, because uh, there was three of them you could choose you gotta from. Say the, you got to say the touchdown, I guess. Yeah, that, that, that was, was, I think, <laughs> they risked for more yards on that touchdown than they had total in the game, so. Pretty bad. Uh, you know, obviously sack totals and stuff come yeah. into it, but three, you know, that's that's not good enough. Like, you weren't opening holes. Um, I mean, we saw some cool individual plays uh, by, like, Austin Jones or Marshawn Lloyd, but not a lot of opportunities. Uh, Lloyd's better ones were catching the ball, I think. Uh, he did have that fumble too. And some of it is just like you're, you know, like Caleb Williams is trying to get away and make a play downfield. It seemed like the running backs were as well, where there were holes. And Lloyd's really good. I mean, he his feet move fast and he's got some power, but really just trying to make guys miss or get out of tackles or get around guys. Sometimes you try too hard. And, you know, he, he's had some issues putting the ball on the ground. Obviously, that's a an absolute killer where you have a special teams miscue. So you're starting at your own six on a day that the offense wasn't working that great anyway. So that's inexcusable. You can't allow something like that to happen. Penalty on the kickoff return. And then obviously trying to take something outside and, uh, you know, and Lloyd fumbles, it's a scoop and score. And it's just kind of like, you know, nail in the coffin there. And then, you know, defensively, USC did, did get three sacks and they only had two sacks um, the previous five games combined. So that's, uh, that's pretty bad. But it's just, it wasn't good enough. It looked like UCLA was tougher. They were pushing USC around. And this is not a UCLA offense that's been good. They've been terrible the last couple weeks. And I get it. Ethan Garbers came back. Colin Schley couldn't really, you know, throw the ball. But Kenny Dillingham put together a good game plan and kept UCLA off balance a little bit. And they did enough to win the game. And I felt like, you know, Dillingham knew that he had deficiencies and made some calls and some weird stuff that maybe it wouldn't work out, but it did. And they get up, you know, they got to win. Didn't work at all against Oregon and they get creamed. But I felt like USC had enough talent that they could figure out a way to kind of get things rolling. And when you come out that flat and all three phases of the game were that bad, Jack, it's not just, I mean, the lines were bad, 
But, you know, USC comes out, turnover on downs, punt, fumble, interception. Like, they just didn't look like they wanted to be there. And that's sad because it's a huge game. It's a rivalry game, UCLA. And we weren't sure if UCLA was going to show up. Mm-hmm. They did. We, I think we talked about this. Like, USC could show up. UCLA could show up. Neither could show up. Yeah. Both, like, we weren't sure. And it ended up being UCLA was fired up. Maybe they were galvanized about the report of Chip Kelly potentially being fired. And they kind of rallied around him. I mean, kudos to them for doing it. But they're a team that came to play. Yeah. And USC did not look like they came to play. And that's, you know, it's a bunch of guys your age, you know, 18, 22-year-olds. It's hard, you know, to keep motivated week after week, especially when you lose a, lose a bunch of games. But this was one you would hope the guys would got up for. The coaches needed to get the guys up. Whatever you need to do, you had to have people show up and play, and they just didn't show up and play. Yeah, I mean, you, you say hope, but it, really you have to. Like, it's unacceptable not to show up for any game. If you want to be one of those top-tier programs like USC has pledged it wants to do, you know, that signified by the hire of Riley, like, there is no excuse to not show up to a game. You can say hope. You could say, well, it would be nice to show up, but if they, if USC wants to be a program that should be considered uh, among those top teams, they don't want to, you know, be called overrated anything like that, then you can't ever have a game where you don't show up, especially when you're losing games and you need to put a stop to that, especially a rivalry game. But I, I agree with everything that you said. It just felt like UCLA wanted to win more. You could kind of put it as plainly as that. There are a lot of plays that I think uh, showcase that. And I think that they just made more plays. And a lot of the times that's due to how much you want it and, and how much you're showing up with that fire in your gut that Lincoln Riley was talking about for the offseason. USC's players did not, didn't show up with that for the game, I, I don't think. And there's a handful of examples. We can get into some of the plays throughout the game. But really, yep. it just felt like from the first snap to the last snap, UCLA wanted it more. And I think you have to give credit to the change that they made defensively over the offseason. We talked about it leading up about how good their defense was. This was our my first time seeing it in person this year, at least. And you can tell that they're run by an NFL guy, Deant. Lynn, who was 10 years in the NFL, his first year in college, and they just played like an NFL defense where how many times have we seen USC this season throw the ball at the line of scrimmage and get five yards or throw the ball five yards and get 10? This was they would throw to the line of scrimmage, they'd get hit immediately. They'd throw yeah. it at five, they'd get hit immediately. UCLA swarmed the ball. They rarely missed tackles. They stayed in their rush lanes pretty well against Caleb Williams. And there'd be a couple plays where USC would sneak out. You know, there was that one play where Caleb hit the deep bomb to Brennan Rice, but this was a very consistent defense. They were there on every play. There were not many coverage busts. They played good coverage, very physical team. That's what USC's defense should look like. And UCLA, credit to them for getting that turnaround over the offseason. It was really apparent in the Coliseum how much this unit was different than last year's unit in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, and it's funny. I think we're on the same page, Jack, because that's what I was going to bring up. That if you just watching the game, and go back and watch if you want. I know it's painful or whatever, but um, you would see if, you know, Ethan Garbers threw a pass, uh, seven yards down the field, a little intermediate route or whatever, uh, you know, a, a USC defender would get there eventually and, you know, maybe get extra five yards. You know, you would try to make some plays. They made some plays at the line of scrimmage. But in, in general, it wasn't like receiver or running back got the ball and they were swarmed by a bunch of Trojan defenders. That would happen at times, but most of the time that wasn't the case. When USC was getting the ball, and they tried some of the short stuff, the line of scrimmage, the little dump-offs. And there was three, four UCLA defenders there waiting and uh, stopping the play. And just the opening drive of the game, not being able to get a yard on fourth and one, I think it was. UCLA was swarming to the ball. And you looked at the 
there was effort there. There was they was really they were really going after things, and they weren't giving a lot of yards after catch. USC's got a bunch of great athletes. Caleb Williams is going to throw. That's one, I think you tweeted out it was one of his best throws of the year or his yeah. career. I mean that was a he just hucked it up there yeah. to Brendan Rice. Great play. Like those are like okay. I don't care what you're playing on defense. Like that's going to be really hard to stop. And but, that's what it took to score. Yes, it took. That was the only touchdown pass he had. Was like this miracle throw. Um, but you. You saw the how the the system that UCLA was running. More often than not, it was someone makes a play, and there are people there, not person, but people, to stop them. And when you watch the USC defense, it's sort of like, oh wow, that that pitch got outside. There is a person there that could potentially stop them. One and person a misses they, a tackle, and yes, and then it's a touchdown. You know, mm-hmm. instead of okay, well, there's three people there, and that's a whole different story. You know. And to me, that's more about the system that UCLA was running versus the system that USD or whatever they were running, because it just doesn't seem like it was working. And you you can see, you can take players in and out. Like you could argue who's got better defensive talent. Uh, you know, Latu's probably the best defender defender on the field. But outside of that, like I mean, USC might have better talent than UCLA on defense, but UCLA's defense played way better, and that's because of coaching. And it withstood, it withstood an injury. You know, Jay Toya, who's a former Trojan, he went down. I don't think he came back into the game. Run defense didn't take a hit. It, UC USD lose some of its best players. Look what losing Bear Alexander did to USC in the first half against Cal. Like the run defense went to, to be non-existent, and then you put him in there. It's like you can't just say one guy makes or breaks the defense. And you know maybe the US, UCLA loses a lot too, and things look different. But they've got three edge rushers in the top ten in pressures. It, it looked to me like with the two defenses we saw yesterday, like USC was given less players to play with. Like yeah. UCLA had more guys on the field, and that's just because I think the way that they were flying around, the way that that scheme worked. And I, I, I know we said, you know, it's not all on the lines, but I do think a lot of this stuff starts at the line of scrimmage. If you're, you know, three down linemen or four down linemen can stop the run, it frees up your linebackers to go other ways. Your DBs don't have to come up and try and stop the run. A USC sometimes when they can't stop the run with just the defensive line, you have to bring your linebackers closer to the line of scrimmage. You're bringing Kalen Bullock or you're bringing Max Williams or Bryson Shaw closer to the line of scrimmage. The passing game then makes it easier for the quarterback on the other side. Um, so if, if your defensive line can start and it, and it can play well and it can do its job on its own without help from other areas, then it's not like you're, you're you know you're picking from from other spots. I'm sure you've got a good analogy for it, but you know, <laughs> it all starts on the line. You can say the same thing on offense, where when the offensive line plays well and they block, the running back's job is easier, the quarterback's job is easier, and then you avoid some of those plays where Caleb Williams sometimes this season is scrambling around. Maybe he drops the ball. Marshawn Lloyd going one way, going the other, trying to do too much he fumbles when your lines play well it makes it easy for you to branch off of that USC last season I thought had that at least on the offensive side this year on both sides I think the lines didn't do enough to establish themselves because that should be the starting point where then you figure out everything else because everything else should be a lot easier when the lines are playing well instead of oh, our offensive line isn't playing very well today. Caleb, go be perfect. Receivers need to get open on every play. The running backs need to make everyone miss. You know, UCLA's running backs, I think they played pretty well, but they didn't. It's not like they were making USC miss every single time. It was, there's a hole, so you get three yards automatically. The running back can get himself a couple more, and then, boom, there's a seven-yard run. Instead of USC's running backs have to make their first juke two yards behind the line of scrimmage, one yard behind the line of scrimmage. Caleb Williams has less time to throw. So I think it really does all start at the lines. And, you know, Lincoln Riley talked uh, after the Oregon game about how they were beat on both sides of the line. I think they were beat on both sides of the line again. And 
I think, in my opinion, outside of finding a quarterback and figuring out what to do without Caleb Williams, like that has to be USC's biggest priority this offseason. No, I think you're right. And I feel like, you know, it, football is blocking and tackling and it starts with the lines. And I think sometimes you can have like a great wide receiver core. You can, you can have better parts of the game that sort of lift everybody else up. And I think you saw a lot of that last last season when the defense would be bad or the special teams were making terrible plays and somehow the offense was always or most always able to keep it together and get a big play and it kind of can galvanize everybody and I think that's hard to do though when it's sort of like you know you have one uh you know if you're if we're running a relay race and there's one person that's you know strong runner and everyone else is sort of faltering it's hard to you know to keep that going and and if you're you know keep going over and over again it's like, man, every time I get the baton, if you're doing multiple times, and this probably doesn't really happen in track, but you're like, oh, we're all behind again. I like get us back. You're running really hard. And then you hand the baton off and you're going to fall behind again. It's it's hard to kind of keep bouncing back from that. And I feel like it's sort of, you know, the kind of, we've seen this team sort of implode where they're just, it was just too much. Like how much can Caleb Williams shoulder himself, you know, and. Uh, oh, there's no more Jordan Addison to kind of bail this part out. Or, you know, we've seen some guys step up, but it's not been consistent. And the line play, and you know, even if you read Chris's uh, ghost notes after the game, uh, you know, to see like your linebacker and defensive lineman kind of going at it uh, afterwards. I mean, things have come to a head. You know, they're, they weren't playing like this was, uh, I mean, I gave Lincoln Riley a lot of credit last year for like the culture that you built where you're bringing pieces from all over the place. You got great leaders like, uh, Travis die and people just kind of coming in and and taking the reins and like keeping everyone together and it I don't think it happened as well in year two it's not easy it's not easy to do I mean you give them credit for having it last year you brought in the right people you had the right leaders and maybe you just didn't have that this year but you know the losing starts happening and it's harder to pick up your partner or pick up your teammate whatever it is because you keep losing and losing and it seemed like by the end of the season there was just nobody picking anyone else up and you're just kind of doing your own thing. Um, and you don't want to see players on the same side of the ball getting into arguments and stuff, but that's going to happen when you, they don't like losing. And, uh, you know, the fans don't like losing. The coaches don't like losing, but they were losing and uh, everyone knew it. And I think, you know, it starts from the line play. You got to play, you know, block and tackle and be tough inside out. But I feel like a lot of it too was just sort of like the chemistry of the team kind of deteriorated and uh, it just was tough to one side pick somebody up. We've seen games last year, even like the defense played well against Oregon State, you know, and they basically won that game, which you couldn't say that almost any other game, but it's just there was no way for any kind of group to sort of step up and carry everyone because everyone was sort of just like weighing everyone else down. Yeah, no, I, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And they mentioned earlier in the season, maybe they were reading into the pressure a little bit too much, that expectation, they were paying a little too much attention to that. And it definitely, as the season went on, it felt like there were cracks starting to form in the foundation. Foundation's a lot like line play. It's hard to start and, and you know, play strong uh, when your foundation is cracking. And maybe, you know, we don't know anything about the locker room or, or the culture more than what we can just see with our own eyes and infer. Yeah. But it, it didn't look like a team, when you're looking at what UCLA did, that was ready to play and that oftentimes comes down to culture or you know just the morale of the team and I understand if your morale has taken a hit when you've lost four or five when you're you know only two wins on the back half of the season both came by one point like that is hard to go through <laughs> but 
if you don't show up to play, like there's going to be comments about it. So I think that's what you see from the team so far this or so far through the season and really on that back half and especially against UCLA. That Caleb Williams played really well again. Kind of a fitting game, I think, where he he played well. He did what he could, but USC's defense, the offensive line, the wide receivers didn't play well enough to get the win. There were bad coaching decisions. There was poor special teams play. You know, a missed 25-yard field goal. Um, it's kind of a, a fitting end to the season, I think, for Williams if it was his last game because he played really well. Just wasn't enough, and he had to play perfectly, and I don't think he played perfectly. And when he didn't this season, US, USC lost. Yeah, his final play potentially for USC was what a handoff to handoff, Arthur yeah, Jones for a touchdown. For a touchdown. Yeah, it was their um, first red zone touchdown of the day on their fifth trip. Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but you, I mean, I think we got a couple of Caleb Williams bobbleheads here for you. Yeah, it's uh, he's you know one of the best players I've ever seen put on the USC uniform. You know, and it, he got an individual award. He got the team to a Pac-12 championship game, and I you know I think he tried his best to do what he could uh, this season, and there was just a lot. I mean, I think, you know, he probably could have played better. He'd tell you that. I think the coaches could have coached better. Uh, you know, players all over the field could have been better. People could have done things differently. And I, th I think it's it's one thing to, like, win, and it's another thing to sustain winning. And not that this team won a championship or anything, but they to go from four and eight to eleven and three and be in the Pac-12 championship game and getting a Heisman, you were nationally relevant again, and people talked about you as you are a winning program and just okay, USC's back, they're winning again, they'll they're the favorite to win the Pac-12 and all that. I mean, that's stuff that you read or you hear and and you believe, and it's one thing to to get there, and it's another thing to stay there. And sometimes you forget the work that it took to get there. You can't take it for granted. And I, we're not, I don't know what happened in the offseason workouts or the, you know, the practices we don't get to see or all that kind of stuff, but it just didn't look like the stuff that you could kind of rely on last year where they were like digging deep and coming through and there wasn't any of that. And, um, you know, it's different being with the one with the target on your back, as opposed to the one that nobody expected to do much. You have this new coach and you got a great quarterback that you brought in and some transfers yeah, let's see what they do. Like, oh, wow. Okay, they're pretty good. And now you're like, okay, well, they're pretty good. And everybody's gunning for you. Your schedule gets harder and all that. And I feel like it's a different it's a different job. I mean, every year is a different job. You're coaching a different team. It's a different group. But there's different levels of motivation you need to, like, stay on top. I know USC wasn't on top. They didn't win the Pac-12 or anything. But they got up there. You got to stay there and not retreat too much. And they retreated a quite a bit. And that's different. And so USC failed at doing that. They just didn't do a very good job. And Lincoln Riley has to take ownership of it and, uh, you know, fix what he can and get back, you know, to go from seven and five, if they go win their bowl game, eight and five, or if they're like seven and six, like it's a different story now to rebuild without your quarterback and rebuild this team to something that what's going to be a, a real goal, a realistic goal, like probably not beating Ohio state and Michigan and Penn state out for a Big Ten championship is realistic next year after, you know, only winning seven games in the regular season this year. But who knows? You know, we'll see what they can do. With the offseason can, like, flip the script and change a lot of stuff. But I think maybe the expectations be a little more reasonable, and then maybe you can kind of overachieve like they did in year one. We'll see. But it's different, I think, you know, with lower expectations versus higher. USC seemed to, like, 
you know, melt when the, high, the expectations got higher. And I think there's a difference between being a winning team and being a winning program. Just because you you know have a winning season doesn't mean you're back to being a point. winning program. So yeah. I think USC's last year was a winning team, and maybe we confuse that for okay. Well, Lincoln Riley had a winning program at Oklahoma. He had a winning season at USC. So now automatically USC is a winning program and they're going to finish with a, a, a record above 500 but I, I don't when I say winning program it's like a team that consistently is going to win you know basically every game that, that they go out you know maybe they'll lose a couple but the games that are close like the winning programs eke those out and I mean just look at what Washington has done over the same stretch that USC's lost five of six they keep winning one score games but they're winning them because that's what winning programs do and I think Maybe we confused after one season of Lincoln Riley USC as a you know a winning program when when they were a winning team and we still needed to see and I think that's what you need to continue to build. I don't think you can build a winning program in one year. You can build a winning team. That's what they did. They you know won seven games this year at least. But I still think they need the time to to build a winning program. And there's going to be steps to 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 build a winning program. You can take transfers in to build a winning team, but consistently building through the transfer portal, I don't think is a way to build a winning program because it's hard to be consistent and know that you're getting the same guys. I don't think USC got the same level of transfers this year as it did last year. And so you need to continue to try and build that program. So I think we should maybe specify too that like there is a difference in my opinion between winning team and winning program. No, I think it's a great, it's a great point. They had a winning team last year. We assumed they were going to be a winning program and they were not. So this was not a winning team. Uh, but I think he's still building. I think if you have faith in that, you, he's still building a winning, pro, trying to build a winning program, and uh, that's where you that's where you want to be. But it was a difference between a team and a program. And I, I think it's a great point, Jack. Yeah, we've got a couple uh, couple super chats, and then we can go to some callers, and then finish it out with the questions that are in the chat. Uh, but we'll go to this first super chat that came in, uh, two dollars from Kevin Morris on YouTube. He says rumors are that DJ Durkin is the next DC. Thoughts. I haven't seen the rumor, but you know, thoughts on that potential hire. I haven't seen the rumor either, so I don't know. Like, did Bruce Feldman or like Stuart Mandel tweet it? Like, it's no. it's a message board thing or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I, don't. Know. I mean, I think it would be a good hire. He's currently at Texas A and M, so maybe he doesn't want to be there. You know, yeah. it's hard to tell. I, I don't, I'm not a big enough X's and O's person to tell you, hey, this is going to work. Texas A&M hasn't played very well, so if you're looking for someone that's really going to build a culture, like, I don't know if that's where you want to go, but you know, I'm not the one that's going to make those decisions. We can reflect on it when it happens and get a chance to study whoever they do hire, but I don't know enough about every single candidate to say, well, this guy's better than this guy, and this guy's better than this guy. So, yeah. yeah, I haven't studied him, but I mean, if you're getting like a sitting Power Five, you know, high-level program, DC, like probably pretty good we'll but I, I yeah i would need to look at it more i haven't heard that rumor or anything yet so yeah uh and then uh, uh five bucks from gixer squid on youtube he oh. says reflecting on lincoln riley's arrival how much different has his style been for you all uh, with media relative to prior leadership i mean it's like jack's not been around as long but it's been a, a constant decline as far as access uh no matter who the coach is and we thought it would get sort of drop off a cliff when Riley arrived and it didn't I think they made some negotiations and uh you know Riley's allowed more but we've seen him sort of like rein things in a little bit more the the windows we can watch practice shortened significantly later in the season when they started losing uh the way players were made available it was more a whole bunch of guys at once which doesn't really help as much as having individual scrums with players after the games where you could get three, four, five minutes with a player as opposed to like 
five minutes with three players and they only each get a couple of questions. So, yeah, I think some of that stuff has changed. Um, you know, the, the windows we get for practice is when we could take photos and shoot video and they got to the point they were so short and there was nothing going on that that, that was, we couldn't really do anything for that. So things like that, I think have, have changed a little bit, but it's, I don't know how much, I mean, the individual coach has certain things to do with it, but it's just been the way college football, at least in, you know, around USC has been trending. USC was one of the more open programs there was. And then it just, each year you had like coaches lose, whenever coaches lose, then they sort of like fix things that they can control, which a lot of times is just like access to the media or players talking and things like that. So, you know, we'll see. I'm curious to see if uh, a whole losing, uh, I mean, they, they're a winning season, it was, but it's seven to five. It was a losing season if you're preseason number five. If uh, things change, like no more spring practice open, or I don't know. I mean, I'm curious to see if something does change because a lot of times when coaches lose, they're looking for other things where most of the time you have to look inside, like this was on me. It wasn't the questions that media asked or the fact that uh, this player was made available after a game or they could watch 10 minutes of practice. Like, it, that's not why you lost. But sometimes that's what coaches can control easily, so they'll, like, make changes there. So I'm curious to see what Lincoln Riley does. Yeah, I second all that stuff. And like Ryan mentioned, I wasn't around for the previous regime, but I feel like you can definitely say that since Riley's first day on the job to today, it has been kind of a decline as well for what he has allowed and what he has shown and uh, just the way that that has been handled. Um, but also, you know, losing seasons going to probably be different than when you're winning 11 games. It probably shouldn't be, but that is kind of what has happened. Oh, the Super Chats keep rolling in. So Man, thanks we for get the to chat. I can't believe we've had like over 400 people watching. We thought this was going to be like a dead show because it's like everyone, no, no one, one wants to hear about the yeah. people. Are, thank you for tuning in. If you're on YouTube or on, I'm sure on Twitter and uh, Facebook too, I just have the YouTube one pulled up, but thanks for uh, watching and paying attention and thanks for the super chats too. You don't have to do that. That's really nice. All right. We'll go to this one from Angelo Henry. He says, what do you think of the narrative from some college football fans that Lincoln Riley can never have a good to great defense because of how he play calls on offense? I don't No, I don't buy that. Um, I mean, we've seen powerful offenses have pretty good defenses and you don't, I think the style of play dictates a lot of like, you can say teams that have, bad offenses tend to have better defenses just because there's like fewer possessions and you're taking longer and you're not scoring as many points. And if you're scoring a bunch of points, you know, we've seen when Alabama, Georgia's got a great defense. When they score a whole bunch of points, like they usually give up point, points too. You know, sometimes you kill somebody, but you know, they beat Ohio State. That wasn't a defensive game. That was everyone was just scoring. That's just sort of the nature of college football. And I feel if Lincoln Riley gets a great defensive coordinator, and they can run their practices, you know, the defensive parts the way they want to. I don't know. We don't get to watch. If all of the practices are focused on, like, the offense and not really tackling and doing – then, yeah, you're doing your defensive disservice. We can't tell you that's happening because we don't get to watch. But I don't think that's happening. I think we probably hear about that. It's like, man, we can't – it's all offense. The defense doesn't get to do anything. That would be a problem. Um, but, I, no, I think it's just more about, like, why is Iowa's defense that good? Like – if you took Iowa's defense and put it with USC's offense and they were scoring 40 points, like they would give up more points. Like they just would give up more points because the, their offense is scoring more. So it's sort of like a sliding scale, but you can't have it be where you're scoring a lot of points and just giving up a, a ton too. You need it to, you know, that's why USC's defense just needed to be a little bit better middle of the pack and then you're going to win a whole bunch of games. But it was worse, you know, and so I don't think it's the style of play that doesn't, but any team that scores a bunch of points, 
if you're playing a team that has a lot of talent, your defense is going to give up more points than if you're playing a team that doesn't score a lot of points. And just the games are, you know, it's going to be lower scoring. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I mean, USC gave up 38, which is actually a decent number for the defense, especially when you consider there was a scoop and score in there. So USC's defense itself technically gave up 31. It still played just as poorly as it did in, in a bunch of previous games. And really the only stops they got were when Ethan Garbers would overthrow some guys, some guys. and so it, it's still a bad defensive performance. It doesn't really matter the points that were on the board. You can still feel like it was a bad defensive performance, but yeah, I wouldn't say it's the play calling. Definitely could be practice, and I think that's something that we will see if USC adjusts at all, um, but saying that as, as a, I don't like blanket statements, so I, saying someone could never have even a good defense because yeah. the way they offensively play call, I, I don't think that is. Maybe he's stubborn in practice. Uh, that's something we won't really ever know, but something they could potentially change and maybe that is something they need to change we'll see if uh, he feels like that is a priority let's go to some callers now we've got two in the queue if you guys want to call in 5124 tunnel is the number 5124 tunnel if you guys want to call in but we've got dave from iowa in the queue so we'll go to him first hi dave you're on tunnel vision hi guys um i was at the game yesterday a rough one like most fans can agree with um i actually went to all the away games this year just to honor the both USC and the conference. Disappointing we're leaving. But so I've got two questions for you. Ryan, aside from wins, there is no development by Lincoln's staff, and it's all about stars slash flashy players, just like Helton. Am I wrong? And Jack, I have never heard a head coach talk about how close a team was of winning record of, of, of a winning record based on three to four plays. Maybe you guys can ask Lincoln this, and I'd like to know what your thoughts are. How many plays away is he from winning three natties at Oklahoma? Thanks, Dave. Um, okay, I'm literally tired of hearing anything along the lines of just like Helton. Like, <laughs> no, like stop. I get it. You're frustrated. This is not in any way, shape, or form just like Helton. Oh, they scored the same record. Okay, look, just watch the games and watch what happened with Helton after year two and what was going on after he didn't have Sark's recruits anymore and it was his program that he was running Lincoln Riley took over the crap that, that, that Clay Helton left over so he's dealing with that and no it's not just like that they certainly have a lot of work they need to do development getting guys better and all of that but I mean he developed Caleb Williams and he won the damn Heisman Trophy there's nothing is just like Helton so sorry and there, even at Oklahoma, there's some. There's a lot of Oklahoma depth players that ended up to go play in the NFL. There were running backs and wide receivers and offensive linemen, defensive linemen, edge guys at Oklahoma, and that's because you know there was time for that program to be built. He, I don't think you can say anything based off two years. Like he only tries to develop stars, doesn't care about the smaller positions or any depth pieces like that. Like maybe the stars are the, are, are the big thing because that's what Lincoln Riley has had been able to change since he's gotten here. Because a lot of the depth players are holdovers from the from the Helton era, so you know who knows. I don't think you can can critique that yet, but I, I would agree on that sentiment. Nothing's just like Helton until they go four and eight. So <laughs> seven and five is bad, but four and eight was heck of a lot worse. I think that year was it sixty two points they gave up to UCLA. So even the defense was worse that year, which feels like is hard to say at least in that one game. Uh, when it comes down to the three to four to five to ten plays away from you know, winning a national championship or being in the Pac-12. We have critiqued that for a couple weeks because you can say you're, you know, a play away from winning a game. You could say there are two plays away from being under 500. If Arizona gets that two-point conversion at the end or Cal gets the two-point conversion, now you're six and six. Maybe you're five and seven. Yeah, so, I, you know, I, I don't know enough about his time at Oklahoma to know if they were a couple plays away. 
I will say if we got to talk to Lincoln Riley about it and, and give our own opinions and know he wouldn't get mad at us, I would say stop saying that. It just doesn't like it doesn't make sense and it, it doesn't sound good continually saying it. Find something else. You know, I think I thought he stepped up in a better way yesterday by saying this is all on me. I need to be better. Need to be better in all areas. But again, too little, too late because you can't say the entire season. Well, we're just a couple plays away when you've lost five games, in my opinion. Yeah, I uh, can't pull it up right now, but the um, the they were in the playoff game against Georgia, which was like yeah. a shootout. I mean, there was probably a player two away from winning that probably, game, yeah. right? So that's that's from winning a playoff game and playing for the national championship. Now you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You're like. 80 plays away from that but um you know i'm sure it was i have to go back and look but the year player, they, i mean the year they lost to lsu they got blown out like they i think yeah. nearly 40 points in the first half or something like that not you LSU, a couple playaways there yeah, but that, like that was not but the georgia one yeah they absolutely yeah but yeah you know so don't know enough about his oklahoma, oklahoma days to say whether they were a couple plays away there but i will say that they're not a couple plays away right now, Ryan. I don't think you could say from being in the Pac-12 championship game. I don't know if you agree with him. No, not at all. And like you've said, yeah, I mean, they're very lucky to be. I mean, they could have played better. I mean, they some of the better teams, they actually played pretty good. They just weren't good enough. Yep. But, you know, you could have easily lost to Cal or to Arizona, especially knowing know how good they are. Colorado and, gets an onside, gets that onside kick at the end. They're probably winning the football game. Yeah, like Colorado wasn't getting stopped, you yep. know, when USC. And that, that just... That's why when the other question was about when were you feeling, you know, when was like the red flags or whatever. But it, the feeling you had when Cam Rising had the ball and they were dry, like there was no way they were going to be stopped. The feeling you had when like Tulane, Tulane had the ball, like they weren't going to be stopped. And when Colorado had the ball in the second half, you were like, they're not going to be stopped. No. And you're like, whoa, this is the feeling you got last year. And this is Colorado, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, and then and then it happened again in the Utah game, and it happened in the Washington game, and, it, and then it happened in the Oregon game. So, it, it, I would agree that that was kind of a a precursor, maybe a foreshadowing. You got one last season, you got one early in the in the Colorado game as well. Uh, final caller in the queue, Cameron from Frisco, Texas, is calling in to talk about Manny Diaz. Hi, Cameron, you're on Tunnel Vision. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Hi, Jack and Ryan. Uh, my question is on specifically Manny Diaz. So Manny Diaz started off as a defensive coordinator under Mac Brown. But then the he gets fired on a Sunday after his poor performance of giving up 550 rushing yards 
to a Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams BYU football team. And later on becomes a head coach at Miami, has a mediocre to below par performance according to Miami standards. So my question is, now that he is a defensive coordinator at Penn State, how has he grown as a defensive coordinator? And how has he become a viable candidate for the USC defensive coordinator job? Yeah, thanks um, for the question. Uh, you know, it's right. Like, I think a lot of things are situational, too, where yeah. we've seen, like, do you remember Justin Wilcox? Like, mm-hmm. uh, they just got a big win. He just got a big win yeah. for Cal. They can be bold. I think they have five wins, so they're going to be I potential think so. goal. Well, they got to beat UCLA this week yeah. if they've got five. But, they, you know, their offense looks a lot better. He was a good defensive coordinator, like most places he went. And he came to USC and was really bad. And it just wasn't good, you know. And, um, and he, I forget where he went after that, Wisconsin or something. And he yeah, did a good job. he was job. a linebacker's coach at Wisconsin, I believe. And then I think took over as a DC again. And then before he became the head coach at Cal. And I don't know what it was, the situation, but it just wasn't good at USC. And I think we've seen that. You could see that with a lot of coaches, you know, like, you know, Bill Belichick, maybe the greatest NFL coach of all time. Like he was fired. You know, there's. I think situations can be different just like, um, you know, Bryce Young is uh, one and nine with Carolina and CJ Stroud's six and four or whatever with Houston. It's just sometimes you get in a better situation and sometimes you don't play as well. I mean, there's a lot of factors that kind of go into it. I don't know if USC could get a Manny Diaz now, but Penn State's offense is kind of, you know, not that good, especially against better teams. Kind of bad, right, Jack? They fired their offensive coordinator the same week USC fired its defensive coordinator. So if you <laughs> you're looking at it in that terms, they thought their defense was, at, or they thought their offense was, you know, as much in need of a change as USC's defense was. So yeah, but if he was like Ohio State's defensive coordinator, does he is he doing a worse job because Ohio State scores more points and their defense is now going to give up more? I mean, Jim Knowles comes over from Oklahoma State and yep. was killing it there, and I think some of it's got to be track record and. And what you can put together, like De'Anton Lynn, like it's a great. He's done this one year, but that's hard to like. You know, we've only seen him one year, but he's got this NFL pedigree. It's probably a little too soon, but like Knowles had a, a pretty good track record there. Um, you know, Diaz has had some terrible moments, like you said, five hundred something yards to BYU rushing yards, rushing yards, not just that, total that yards. Was... I mean, that's like, yeah, that's still on his resume. But Penn State still hired him, and he's doing a really good job there. Um, so I think it's. You pay a guy like Lincoln Riley a lot of money to figure this stuff out. And it's not just the team. You're not just hiring the coach that went to the, you know, Sweet 16 from a Cinderella thing last year. Like, I mean, you could do that. I guess USC did that pretty much with Andy Enfield. And, you know, he's been the coach for a really long time. But you, it's, it comes to down to more than that. And, uh, and I feel like there's a lot that goes into it. Um, how good were the defense? How bad was your worst? You know, how good was your best? And how consistent have you been in the top 25 or whatever? I think there's a lot of different factors that Lincoln Riley would have to consider. Like Diaz is probably, I mean, I guess no one's unattainable, but that'd be a really tough one to bring in, you know, for a guy from Penn State. But, and you could get him and it could be like, this is an amazing hire because there's no way he, he would normally leave Penn State to go to USC. And you people could still be very critical, you know, of... Well, he did this. He did this. And it still might not work out even. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's why you pay a guy like Riley a bunch of money. Let him figure this stuff out and and find out what's going to be best. Not just who's going to be the best guy, but the best fit for what they have and the best fit for what they want to be. Like you don't want to be historically bad defense in 2021, 2022, and 2023. You want to be a really good defense. And they haven't been anything close to that. And Riley talks about that. So who can you get that's going to come in? 
with some of the personnel you have, bring in different personnel, attract personnel, and put a system together, you know, put a system in place that uh, will complement what USC does on offense well, special teams, whatever it is, and, uh, and, and just play, you know, get some stops, play good defense. Like, just stop people. Like, they just haven't been able to do that. Don't allow career days for everyone you play. Like, it should be that hard to do. But for USC, it's been that hard to yeah. do. Uh, and when it comes down to, you know, what he's done to make himself a viable candidate, some guys are better as coordinators than head coaches. Uh, you know, there's also the, uh, I forget who the quote's from, but, you know, a quote out there from coaches just saying, you don't really know who you are as a coach until you're fired. So sometimes you you take your lumps and then you go back to a position you're more comfortable at and you're better at that. Manny Diaz, of course, went from head coach, which you're not just running a team, you're running a program, you're running recruiting, you are the first person the players come talk to when they need to have a conversation. Like, There's a lot more to head coaching than just stepping up from, well, instead of just calling the defensive plays, now I'll just coach the team. Like, There's a lot of stuff that goes into being a head coach. When you're a coordinator, you stick to your side of the ball. You, of course, do your recruiting and everything like that, but you're focused on the defense. That's what Manny Diaz is good at. So some guys are just better at being coordinators than they are at being head coaches. I think that Manny Diaz is proving that he's a, he's a great coordinator. Maybe he'll get another head coach job in the future, but his first in as a head coach didn't go great uh, at Miami. And so maybe that's what USC needs. Like, that's how he's turned himself into a viable candidate. Penn State's defense is obviously great, so it would be a home run hire if USC could pull him away. I don't know if that's going to happen. But uh, definitely could be a good hire for USC, and he has turned his career around at Penn State. Uh, we've got another caller in the chat. Not sure the name here, but hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. <laughs> yeah, this is Bobby. I called last week uh, regarding Riley. And Chris Chris Trevino uh, lambasted me. I went after today after UCLA's game uh, yesterday. If you look at Lincoln Riley's record, eighteen and eight with eight losses, three to Utah, two lane, um, and not a signature win in two full seasons. I feel that um, Lincoln Riley's time is dwindling quickly if not should be gone and I can't understand this very simple statement we go to Georgia go where the success is and, and pick up somebody that is wonder boy is, is failed and the quick all right, thank you for hey, the Bobby. call, Bobby. Yeah, I, I'll push back on the idea that they don't have a signature win. I, and 18 and 8 isn't the most glamorous record. You beat both rivals last year. You beat a good Notre Dame team. You, know, you beat a good Oregon State team that turned out to be really good. So, you know, maybe they didn't have a signature win this year. It looks, beat Arizona. <laughs> like the win over Arizona looks good now. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you can't just – I get it. You're, you're frustrated, so you say they didn't beat anybody. Well, you beat both rivals in the same year. Like, count how many times that's happened in, like, USC football history. It doesn't happen all the time, so that's a big deal. You won a Heisman Trophy. That's a big deal. You've done – that's the eighth time it's happened, there, and, and there's only seven of them in the Heritage Hall right now. So it's, it's rare, uh, 100-something years. Like, that's seven you're talking about. So those are things that happened. He also took over a dumpster fire. And overachieved in year one, underachieved in year two. Maybe it doesn't work out. Maybe it's going to be eight and four the rest of the way, and a few years from now they part ways and he goes somewhere else. Maybe. Maybe that's the case. But holy cow, it's two years into this mega hire you made. I think you have to you put resources into it. They're going to try to build facilities to keep up with, with the Joneses here. I mean, they're behind in all that stuff. They were behind even when they built the John McKay Center. That was 
Pat Hayden, like they literally built a building that had enough rooms to staff whatever Lane Kiffin's current coaching staff was with zero forethought into, well, maybe we're going to have more than one analyst in the future, which now you have like dozens of them. So yeah, they, there's a lot of deficiencies around the program and a lot of it's self-inflicted. Um, you can blame Lincoln Riley for some stuff this year too, but he's also fixing a lot of stuff. There's a lot of history that people made just horrible decisions for not just years, but for decades that, you know, those bills, it's like those parking tickets. Like, they're, you know, they're, they, eventually you get a boot on your car and it takes a while to get the damn boot off. And like, he's working on it. And you could say, well, they're not driving 89 miles an hour on the freeway right now. No, but he got the boot off and they're like working their way up there. So Maybe it doesn't work out. If you feel like he's just not the guy, that's your prerogative. But there's no declaration like, see, there's no possible way he could be the guy. Like, that's just, that's asinine to me. Like, he's, he has signature wins. He's won a Heisman. They've, you know, a huge turnaround in year one. I think you have to give him the benefit of the doubt that he can fix the, I mean, the crap burger that you got in year two was really bad. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was really bad in year two, but you give him the benefit of the doubt that he can turn it around and, and fix things and get him back on the winning track. Yeah, you know, I, I had trouble hearing, but it sounded like he was saying, you know, you just go out and find a guy that, like, has won and, and, and is a winner. When he they made the hire, you, you couldn't have hired a winning or coach unless you're, you know, poaching Kirby Smart from Georgia than Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. I mean, he's still won over, you know, 75% of his games. So I'd push back on that a little bit. But yeah, I'd just say give him a little bit of time. He's built a winning team. Let him, you, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it takes time to, to build a winning program. So give him a little bit of that time. One last caller, then we'll get to questions. I know we've got a couple super chats in the queue, so we'll get to those right after okay. this caller. We have Ellen calling in from St. Louis. This will be the last one. Hi, Ellen. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. So I, this is more of a kind of a statement than a question, but I, I had a conversation with someone who's a high school football coach um, at an event a couple of days ago, and he's coached uh, with a couple of guys who are in the NFL and who are coordinators in the Big 12. And we're, I was compl obviously complaining about the USC defense, and this guy coaches defense mostly. And I made the comment about the players looking at their wristbands, and the, this high school coach who coached um, in college football made an interesting comment to me. He said, it's a major red flag that so many guys are looking at their wristband towards the end of the season. He said, usually that's for guys who are kind of slower to pick up the plays, et cetera. And he, he basically said, he's like, well, what that tells me is that you're not spending enough minutes in practice doing reps because that late in the season, you should know your base formations, this and that. So anyway, just want to point that out there um, because, you know, the next guy who comes in, I can see them asking for more minutes in, in, uh, in practice. And obviously, you know, Lincoln Riley is a, an, uh, an offensive guy. But anyway, I thought that was an interesting point. Uh, I just want to get, get your thoughts on that. All right, thanks for taking my call. Oh. Well, thank you, Alan, for the call. I think that makes sense, and that's you know one of the things I think they're going to look for in the next defensive coordinator. Not only a good scheme, uh, a scheme, but a scheme that you can teach to the players and, and be easily understandable. Because I think maybe Alex Grinch had a scheme that he was trying to put together this year, and he thought it was going to work, and he was really ambitious. Your scheme could be great, but if you can't teach it to the guys and if they can't understand it, then it's not a good scheme. And so that, especially at the collegiate level, that's something you need to strive for. Yeah, no, and I, I th that's a great call. I appreciate it. I mean, it's great. You can have outside coaches sort of try to diagnose what's going on. We don't know exactly. I mean, it could be the point where they had plenty of minutes in practice, but it was just uh, the scheme changed every week and we were the calls are changing. And so we, we made, a, you know, new uh, calls for this opponent. So you have to look and see. I feel like, you know, when you're in college, 
and I think Norm Chow did this really well when he was at USC. Like his offenses would look complicated, but they were simple to run. And I think you have to try to find that balance somewhere where you can't be super predictable that you just look at it and go, I know that's what that's going to be. But you also can't be so complicated that the players aren't able to run it. And if it's because you don't get enough practice reps, you only get so many hours a week anyway, or it's just, you know, it's changing every week, or it's just there's no way to, to learn all of it, you're going to need to keep looking down at your wristband. I think, you know, it's a problem. I, I think the looking at the symptom of they shouldn't be looking at their wristbands, I don't know if we can come up with what the disease is, but you, the symptom isn't right. Like you should, you know that you're sick if that's, the case yeah. you know there's something that that shouldn't be happening and i feel like that's a shortcoming with alex grinch that you know when you were seeing this happening you can't keep going that way and it, it feels like okay well this is the way i do things and coaches can be kind of stubborn and you know i've i've liked every interaction i've had with alex grinch but you know this what it certainly wasn't good enough he would admit it wasn't good enough and sometimes you just get very like well this is the way we do things and i'm going to do it this way instead of like you know what we just can't all right, we're going to dial this back, whatever it is. And that's what players talked about as soon as he was fired, that things were going to get simpler. But it didn't really seem to help much. And I, I didn't really notice much more like wristband stuff. But, I mean, it's too, you're too far gone. Like yeah. It's just too, too far hard to into, change in yeah. the middle of the season. But that was something that uh, we saw Lincoln Riley make a change at the Arizona State game. They were trying to get the perfect play in all the time, and they were getting false starts. And they couldn't even get the snap going. And you were getting out of, you know, you were helping the defense by getting yourself out of rhythm and just instead of like, all right, we don't need the perfect play, just call a play and we will run it and it'll be okay. And they made a, a change pretty quickly and they just never, I mean, you had the whole season and you couldn't like fix, and you had the whole off season and you still couldn't fix it. So yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, the, the symptom was a problem. We don't know exactly what the disease was uh, that caused that symptom, but you, you, you needed to get rid of it. You, need, you just couldn't have players confused before the snap and that was just like a constant thing that was happening yeah and Lincoln Riley's offense is a good example of that it, there's a lot of you know like a lot of ways that they can run a play but in reality there's only a handful of plays like the route combinations are all very similar they just run it out of different formations with different motions with different guys and that's how his offense works it feels like you know USC's defense at times like different guys it's different formations it's different plays and then they eventually played every single snap in nickel against Washington and just at some point in the season it just kind of all fell apart but that is I think something you're going to look for in the next defensive coordinator all right we've got three super chats then we can get to some rapid fire questions to round okay. out the show five dollars from DJ on YouTube he says, offensive and defensive line play has been our problem for years, and it is why USC has not sniffed the final four. I think we can both be in agreement with no, that. No, I think that's fair. Yeah, that, I mean, you can bring in some transfers, but and I love what they're doing on the offensive line recruiting-wise, high school-wise. They brought in a bunch of guys they can develop, and that's great. Like, they brought in four, five guys last year and some more you know, coming in this year. Need to do that on the defensive lines, too. Yep. They just haven't been as successful recruiting there as they were with the offensive line. But that takes... That's like a, you know, that takes a while to bake. This isn't a microwave situation. That's more of a, that's roasting your turkey uh, next week. It's, yes, difference between a winning team and a winning program because, you, you know, you can't just put a bunch of freshmen in there and have a winning team. But if you bring a bunch of freshmen in, eventually they're going to play and that's how you build a winning program when you're kind of cycling them in and out. There's another one. Just want to shout this one out. $2 from John Bettina on YouTube. No question or anything, but he just wanted to send the $2. So we appreciate that, John. Thanks, Thanks uh, for the Super Chats. That's really cool. Yeah, 12 on the day and the 12th and final one from Jared Eckenweiler on YouTube. He says, was there an argument on the sideline between USC defensive players yesterday? Heard something about that from Chris. 
Yeah, Chris put that in his ghost notes. Um, and we mentioned it a little bit earlier in there. Yeah, so I didn't get the details. I, when I was in the press box and Jack was up there too. Hard to tell. Yeah, I don't know what was going on with that, but you know, tensions rise a little bit. Uh, the play, you know, they're not playing well. UCLA, I talked about this. Like they had scored in Pac-12 play, they scored 42 against Stanford and never scored more than 28 in the rest of their games. And of course, they scored 38 against USC, and you know, could have scored more if they you know, didn't kneel on the ball at the end. So, yeah, that's a that's a problem. I think the defenders sort of kind of got into it. It was a uh, Bear Alexander and uh, Mason Cobb, I believe. Chris said, but I didn't. I haven't talked to him about it and get the details on it. But yeah, it doesn't sound doesn't sound great. Yeah, I would say read the, you know, if you if you haven't already, go read Chris's ghost notes. That's the best description you're going to get because he was the one that, that witnessed it. Um, but yeah, it, it's just kind of that, the cracks in the foundation. That's what you what, what, what you're trying to avoid, at least here uh, at USC. John Cannon says, is USC nationally relevant at this point? And this is where we can kind of start going rapid fire through some of these questions. Still, because you have Caleb Williams, you have the best player in college football. So yeah, they, he's the Heisman Trophy winner. They're not relevant when it comes to the playoffs but people will still talk about usc because you have cable caleb williams well, i think even during you know during the four and eight year i still think usc was nationally relevant if you're a team where 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 you're still getting talked about when you're playing poorly i think that's a nationally relevant team there's probably a lot of them but usc as a program i think they're program be... relevant i don't think that team oh, was yeah. relevant that's I that's agree. a good that's you know a good reverse I mean. yeah. yeah exactly but it's a good like usc was still a nationally relevant program but Last year, they were a real team that was nationally relevant. And yes, this was somewhat too, but yeah. Uh, Renee Acosta on YouTube says, How possible, or I guess I would say, how likely is USC to hire a defensive coordinator during the bye week to get a jump start on recruiting uh, and then during the portal opening and signing day? And you want to get it as soon as possible, the best candidate as soon as possible. So, yeah, I think it's, it's a possibility depending on if you're a guy like Jim Leonard, you're an analyst right now, then, you know, and if they could bring someone like that in. I think you want to make the right hire, but you're going to do it quickly because of the portal. So much happens in the month of December. You would like your staff to be together. And, uh, you know, USC didn't, if you remember when Riley got hired, uh, they didn't bring in Josh Henson until uh, after, I think it was like January or February. So it was after sort of like the signing period. So they were a little behind on the offensive line recruiting. So they had to really kill it uh, in his first year. And I think they did that. But yeah, you would love to get someone in quickly as possible yeah absolutely and lincoln riley was hired right after his final game at oklahoma usc actually hired him basically this week a couple of years ago before its last game against cal which was played a little bit late um so they were they're clearly able to make big moves at this point in the season the problem is if if you're if you're if you're if the guy you want is manny diaz you know, he still has games to play if the guy you want is dj durkin like he still has games to coach so you can't just you know take him away from there you got to wait until these these people finish their games so i think you could see it in the bye week or you could see it kind of coming right out of the bye week after some of these teams finish their regular seasons dave rice on youtube says how does usc beat out the big 10 plus oregon washington and recruiting top high school linemen the portal is not the way to build a culture or team yeah, I mean, they haven't been able to do it in the big in the Pac-12. So, like, I think some, some of that's with NIL. Some of it's just with philosophy. Some of it's with bringing in a better defensive coordinator. It just seems like Alex Grinch, people weren't excited. Defenders weren't excited to come play. So I think it's a lot of things that kind of go into it. I mean, you still have advantages being in Southern California. There's disadvantages of being at USC. you got to take advantage of that. Um, you know, probably more guys with southern california ties you can recruit texas in area as well too and you have to recruit nationally i think for linemen because there's less of them in southern california than they were in the past so i think it's a factor of a lot of things uh howell on youtube says does this season show that you can't build an offensive line with just transfers in one season i would no, say I don't, I don't, yes well, it shows that you can't i mean i don't know if it proves anything but I mean, they, true. they did it 
suggests. Yeah, like I think it's hard to do. You would much rather have a good mix where they had more veterans that were left over with transfers last year. And then this was like there was a couple veterans left over and then the rest transfers. And then one transfer doesn't get in. And, you know, there's a lot of things that sort of happen. So, Patricia, you, one of your veteran guy or, you know, Gino Quinones gets hurt early. So that's one less guy that could be part of the mix. Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's definitely disadvantages of, of doing stuff that way. But you'd rather have some of those younger guys, like, you know, be able to fill in. But USC's covered, I mean, Clay Elton left the cupboard pretty much bare, right? You know, so you had to, like, there wasn't the infrastructure. They had to get rid of all those. Any offensive lineman that wasn't playing basically couldn't play. So you basically had to get rid of all those, and now you're backfilling. And, uh, you know, a year or two from now, I think USC would be able to play one of those guys that's been in the system for two years now. And, you know, he could step up as opposed to, here's a true freshman that you just got. We have to play him because you don't have anybody else. Yeah, we've got a lot more questions about, you know, just the defensive coordinator or Lincoln Riley that I feel like, you know, we've hit on a lot of those points. So I'm going to end it with this one question from Steve Leone on YouTube that I think is a good way to send this off. How does the program build moving forward? He said he feels like Caleb covered up some issues with the team during the last two seasons. So if you were to make a little list, maybe, you know, three or five bullet point checklist for USC building moving forward, Ryan, what would you say? Yeah, and I, th I think Caleb did. He's uh you know, kind of the wart remover, right? Like he could just cover up a lot of uh, just any kind of um, just any sort of issues that you'd have. Any Patch blemishes. Some holes. Yeah, there was yeah. blemishes. He's the, uh, you know, the the buffer you put on your face and, and clean it up before you go on camera. Like he could do that. But Lincoln Riley's got a history of bringing in guys that could do that, you know, like Jalen Hurts or uh, Baker Mayfield or Kyler Murray. Like those guys can make plays on their own and they can just fix a lot of the ills that you have and sometimes maybe you rely on that and Caleb Williams was someone that could do that and you could rely on so I feel like you know establishing the defensive culture first uh, bringing in somebody from the outside that's just lives breathes uh, you know eats defense all the time and toughness and physicality for real and you let him do his job, you know, and I think like Riley too. And there was, I know there was a couple of things in the chat about uh, like Riley talking about being the, you know, the OC and stuff like he's an OC, but you know, I think you have to be the CEO of everything too. And he talked about being more involved in the defense last year and then didn't really do it. Um, you know, managing the entire program, not just the offense. I think that's part of, you know, what's kind of going on too. And I do think fixing special teams, and that doesn't mean just hire a special teams coordinator, but however you're running it, it's not working. You need a different system to to run it. Maybe it's hiring someone. Maybe it's just making one of the current assistants, the special teams guy, whatever it is, you got to do something different, I think, uh, on special teams. And, um, you know, really fixing the, the on the recruiting side, they just haven't had the classes that you would expect. And some of it's NIL. So there's a lot of factors, I think, that's coming into play there. But I think you really need to kind of address that as well. So I think there's a lot of things that they can do and things that you're in control that you can kind of make better. Yeah, you know, if I were going to put things in order for what – if you're focusing on this offseason, hire a good defensive coordinator, find the right guy. That's number one. Find a way to get better in the trenches. Find a quarterback if you feel like it's not on the roster. Figure out the high school recruiting situation. You know What's the deal with NIL? What's your position on that going forward? If you're not going to do it, 
recruit well. If you are going to do it, do it and recruit well, uh, and then really go to work. And I think that's what they need to do during the offseason. They, they mentioned during this offseason that the mantra was, the longer it goes, the better we get. The longer it went, the worse they got. So they need to have you know no fancy mantra, in my opinion. Just find a way to silence out all the noise because you're, you're not going to be the number five team going into next year in the AP poll. There's not going to be as high expectations from you know us sitting here, people in the chat, people across the nation. So go to work and come out a different team. Don't you know, wallow on this season, you know, being seven and five, or maybe you win the bowl game, you're eight and five, anything like that. Just figure out those things because I think you need to have those. You need a defensive coordinator. You're going to need a quarterback, but then just go to work. Once you have those things set in place, go to work because you've got a long off season and you have a chance to turn this thing around. So if you're saying, how do you build? It comes down to work. It's not all just moves and talk and everything like that. It is, it's going to work on the practice field and in the meeting rooms and in the film rooms and everything like that. Yeah, I think it's a great way to put it, Jack. Work. Like, don't worry about what the media is doing or how much practice you're watching. It's like, that stuff doesn't matter. Like, if you're worried about that, you're not spending enough time on your own stuff. You know, you fix your own stuff. Don't try to control the narrative or what people are thinking about the program by what you say. Like, or, well, if, if, the, if we have the media do this, then that's how we're going to be perceived. Like, that stuff is doesn't matter. What matters is you getting to work and doing the, you know, making this team as great as it possibly can be. I think, and if anyone's discounting what they did in the first year, I, I mean, I, I don't think you're doing, you're not being fair, but you could be very critical of what happened in the second year. And I think it just, there was a lot more work being done. I think some people in the chat were saying, you can't do it with transfers. You brought the right transfers in. There were good leaders, you know, like Travis died for him to be an Oregon guy to come in and be like literally a leader of men in the locker room on both sides of the ball. Like the leader. Yeah, that's like a special player that you brought in. And, um, and he happened to be really good at football too. Yeah, and then maybe you don't, you didn't have a guy like that. And that makes a huge difference. But it doesn't necessarily have to be like someone said, just recruit all LA guys. Like that doesn't work either. You know, like you, yeah, there's probably more, you could do more for sure. But Travis, I was a Southern California guy that played at Oregon for a long time and came back and did his final year at USC, and it was a big deal. It really helped. But I think the, focusing on the work, like Jack said, and not worrying about – I mean, he literally – and you know, David Wood said this, week six or whatever, USC is 6-0 and and worried about stuff with reporters and things, and David Woods is like – he's acting like an embattled head coach that just lost a whole bunch of games, and he was top 10 and undefeated. And then they kind of went on it now the way that he's acting like you were seven and five, which they are right now. And, you know, that tells me that you knew something was sort of wrong internally and you're worried about more external stuff than just fixing what's going on inside. So this is off season. Fix your own stuff, you know, fix what's going on in there and everything else will take care of itself. What people say about you, what the media reports, whatever it is like that takes care of itself. Once you get things working on the inside, that, that's what I think USC needs to control and Lake and Riley needs to control. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that if, if you're putting in the work, you know, the good things that you deserve will come to you. So if, if USC puts in the work, it will maybe, you know, maybe that doesn't mean you win a national championship, but you're not going to end up at seven and five. I don't think if they put in the work that you, you need to as a college football program, you will, I think, see uh, everything come to fruition that you're hoping for, at least if you're Lincoln Riley and the team. So I, I would say focus on that. But, you know, Ryan, I think we were expecting people wouldn't really want to tune into this one just because the loss yeah. yesterday was bad. It's been, it's been a tough season, but thank you guys so much for the turnout. It's been a great lively chat, a lot of good questions. Thank you all for the super chats. So ended up being a super eventful show. 
It was, yeah. I didn't expect this many people coming on, so thank you. We, we, you know, uh, Connor had something to do, and Chris had something to do. We're like, ah, well, just me and Jack will do it. We'll just knock it out. There probably won't be anyone in there, but a lot of people were here, so thank you for uh, doing that. We just, you know, sharing our thoughts and our opinions of what's going on. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I think some people are like, not making excuses. Uh, I'm telling you what I think about what's going on. You know, don't care. I'm not saying anything. I'm telling you that they don't need to worry about the media. It's just, I don't think they should. Um, yeah. I'm just, this is just one of those things where USC, we're going to tell you what we think about it. I know maybe you just think everything needs, everyone needs to be fired. Everyone's terrible. That's fine. Like, if you, you know, just because we don't feel that way, it doesn't mean we're making excuses. It's hugely disappointing season, way underachieved. But that doesn't mean I'm saying you should never, Lincoln Riley should be fired. Like, I just, I don't believe that. I think he can turn things around. He's a young head coach. He's got a great track record. He has pretty messed up year. There's a terrible year. Worse than I could even imagine this year to have been, and probably most people. Um, so, you know, you're preseason number five for a reason, because you have Caleb Williams and all these guys coming back. It was a huge screw-up. Disaster of a season. But I think you have to give them opportunity now to, to get things right. And like Jack said, go to work. Fix all the stuff that you can fix internally. Make the right hires. Make the right changes. Figure out what wasn't working. Some of it is even just not People, sometimes people don't realize what's not working and you walk away and other people can see it. Uh, well, that that's terrible. Why aren't you, you know, why are you doing that? Being able to identify what isn't working and sometimes the criticism you get that you sort of ignored was, was legitimate. And yeah. I think a lot of that is just self-examination and self-scouting and like, I really thought this was the way to run the special teams, but looking at the numbers, it sucks. So I'm going to do something else, you know? That kind of stuff. And you made the change of defensive coordinator, but that's not the only thing that needs to change too. So, yeah. But I'm 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 optimistic that Lincoln Riley can go out and do it. But this was a horrible year, and he's got to look in, you know, look in the mirror and say, all right, this sucked. What am I going to do differently? Because you got to do something significantly different next year if you want different results. Yeah, well, they go to work and try and figure out the answers to all those questions. We'll be going on a little bit of a break. No tunnel vision next week. Thursday is obviously Thanksgiving. So from our, you know, I guess, group to you guys, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Ryan, I hope you enjoy your Thanksgiving. And it'll be a fun day to, to eat some food. And there's no game this week, obviously, with USC going on by. No media availability is kind of the next time that you hear from us. It'll be about, you know, what happens in the bowl game as USC will find out uh, I believe it's next Sunday right about where they'll yeah. be heading in the bowl game so no media availability this week so no tunnel vision this week uh, and then it's kind of after we figure out where they're going in a bowl is where you'll hear from tunnel vision at least next yeah for sure um, when we'll we'll find out next week and I don't know maybe we'll do one next Sunday or something yeah. but we'll figure out uh, when we're going to do those it'll be a little more spry. we were pretty consistent doing the Thursday Sunday thing during the season and then we'll do some off season stuff and we do appreciate everyone that's coming in and being in the chat and all that. So thank you for uh, for watching. And it's been a fun season to cover. It's been different than I thought it was <laughs> going to be. Uh, but, you know, it's college football. And you got to embrace it because we only get it for a few months a year. So uh, I know you're like, oh, I just want the season to be over. But, you know, in June, you're going to be like, damn, I wish the season was here. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, thank you guys so much for tuning in, not only today, but all season as well. If you guys have been here the whole time, make sure you're leaving a like, hitting the subscribe button, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, wherever you're watching. Thank you guys for tuning in. As Ryan said, no, no show next Thursday. Go enjoy Thanksgiving and watch the rest of the big college uh, football games next weekend. I'm excited to kick back, watch Michigan, Ohio State, all the other good games that are on. A little Big Ten preview for next year, Ryan. But yes, thank you yes. guys so much for tuning into the show. I'm Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham. We will see you guys next week.